Amen. Thank you, Louise. What a wonderful job with that great song, that great prayer, the Lord's Prayer. We have some folks ready to take our children downstairs for Children's Church, so you kids head to the back of the auditorium. And while they're going, I wanted to, uh, I earlier did not see that we also have Mike and Sherry Blankenship back with us. Sherry's been recovering from a broken hip and a broken arm, and this is her first Sunday back. So we're so glad to have you all back here. That's great. Keep praying for Sherry. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we are so grateful for your presence here. And we do come into your presence asking for your guidance, your help, and your strength. Thank you, Lord, for this beautiful rendition that uh, Louise sang of the model prayer that you gave us. And we do come asking you to forgive us. And as we look at a man after your own heart who sinned greatly but who loved you greatly, we thank you that you forgave David And we thank you that by your grace you will forgive us. We pray that you'll teach us now. Help us to learn from David's life and example, both good and bad. And may it help us, Lord, as we seek to live for you and bring honor to your name. Bless our children and those who now lead them. And we pray that they too will be brought close to your love and your grace even in this hour. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, let's take our Bibles and turn to 2 Samuel this morning. We're going to look at 2 Samuel 11 and 12, and then also some verses in Psalm 51 as we getting close to the end of uh, our look at some of the events in David's life. There's too many for us to look at all in one series, but this is one of the more well-known, one of the more difficult and terrible experiences in David's life, but we can learn a lot from it. The high cost of sin, 2 Samuel 11 and 12. We know that God himself said that David was a man after his own heart, and God used David greatly both before and after this event, but yet there were consequences to what happened here in David's life that would be ongoing. And that's the way it is with sin. Yes, God will forgive our sin. If we confess our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us. To forgive our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But that does not mean we will not have to live with the earthly and ongoing consequences as long as we're on this earth of sin that takes place. Both the sin in our own life or even sometimes the sin that happens in someone else's life. We get hit with the consequences of that. And we see both of those things here, both the high cost of sin, but also the fact that the Lord will forgive us of the sin in our life. Now, in 2 Samuel 11 and 12, we see what happens when temptation comes into a person's mind, what, it, what can happen, and what that can lead to. Let me read to you 2 Samuel chapter 11, the first five verses. It happened in the spring of the year, at the time when kings go out to battle, that David sent Joab and his servants with him 
and all Israel. And they destroyed the people of Ammon and besieged Rabbah. But David remained at Jerusalem. Now, before I read any more, take note of the fact. This was the time when the kings typically would go out to battle. And David sent the army out to battle. But there's that ominous statement at the end of verse 1. But David remained in Jerusalem. Now, verse 2. Then it happened one evening that David arose from his bed and walked on the roof of the king's house. And from the roof he saw a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful to behold. So David sent and inquired about the woman. And someone said, Is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? Then David sent messengers and took her, and she came to him, and he lay with her, for she was cleansed from her impurity, and she returned to her house. And the woman conceived. So she sent and told David and said, I am with child. First thing to note here in this passage is how deceitful sin is. The temptation of David as he stayed behind, had a lot of time on his hands, uh, and he saw her bathing. And in his mind, I doesn't say this specifically in this passage, but I think we've all experienced this thought, this feeling, when we are contemplating doing something we shouldn't do. No one will ever know. I can get away with this. I can do this and nobody else will ever know about it. Or nobody important will ever know about it. And so David sent for her, another man's wife. Now David had wives. He had concubines. Not that that's what God wanted, but he did. But here was another man's wife. He saw her. He liked what he saw. He sent for her. And I'm sure in his mind he thought, I can do this. I'm the king. I can get away with this. Who's going to stop me? Who will ever know of any great importance? Of course, that is deceitful. That, that idea that sin always brings with its temptation. Because, of course, we know there's one who will know. There are two who will know whenever we sin. We will know the individual. And who else will know? God knows. Does it really matter who else knows if God knows? I mean, that's, that's what we ought to respond to that temptation with. God will know. Therefore, I shouldn't do it. It's not right. The Lord will know. One writer has said, every sin ultimately is a sin of omission. Every sin. Because if you're doing what you ought to do, you cannot be doing what you ought not to do. Is that not true? Where was David supposed to be at this time? He was supposed to be out there with his army. But he was at home. He was taking it easy. 
idle hands are the devil's workshop is the old saying, right? And the devil will always bring temptation your way if you give him that opportunity. David gave that opportunity and unfortunately he took it. Now a second thing about sin is it takes on a life of its own. The last statement in verse 5 and now we're going to read on through verse 17. And the woman conceived... So she sent and told David and said, I am with child. Then David sent to Joab saying, send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent Uriah to David. When Uriah had come to him, David asked how Joab was doing and how the people were doing and how the war prospered. And David said to Uriah, go down to your house and wash your feet. So Uriah departed from the king's house, and a gift of food from the king followed him. But Uriah slept at the door of the king's house, and a gift of uh, slept at the door of the king's house. Excuse me, with all the servants of his lord, and did not go down to his house. So when they had told David, saying Uriah did not go down to his house, David said to Uriah, "Did you not come from a journey? Why did you not go down to your house?" And Uriah said to David, The ark and Israel and Judah are dwelling in tents, and my lord Joab and the servants of my lord are encamped in the open fields. Shall I then go to my house to eat and drink and to lie with my wife? As you live and as your soul lives, I will not do this thing. Then David said to Uriah, Wait here today also, and tomorrow I will let you depart. So Uriah remained in Jerusalem that day and the next. Now when David called him, he ate and drank before him, and he made him drunk. And at evening he went out to lie on his bed with the servants of his Lord, but he did not go down to his house. In the morning it happened that David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it by the hand of Uriah. And he wrote in the letter saying, set Uriah in the forefront of the hottest battle and retreat from him that he may be struck down and die. So it was while Joab besieged the city that he assigned Uriah to a place where he knew there were valiant men. Then the men of the city came out and fought with Joab and some of the people of the servants of David fell and Uriah the Hittite died also sin takes on a life of its own when David saw Bathsheba bathing and in that instant in that moment decided he would take her for himself I'm sure he never thought about the fact she's going to end up having a baby he never thought about the fact what am I going to do about her husband But that's what happened. Sin is not done unto itself. And it's not something that is controllable, the consequences of it. You may have in your mind that there's something you're going to do. You know you really shouldn't do it. But you're going to do it and you think that is going to be that event only. It's never going to be anything else. Never going to lead to anything else. The problem is we never know where sin is going to lead. And in this case, she became with child. She tells David that she's pregnant. 
one step leads then to another. David had to figure out how he was going to cover this up. And so he thought he would figure out a way to make it appear that the baby was Uriah's. And so he tells Uriah, you go home and wash your feet. That was a euphemistic way of saying, you go home and enjoy your wife. He was hoping then that would make it appear that the child was actually Uriah's. But Uriah did not cooperate. He was too honorable. Here was Uriah. What a contrast. David stayed in the palace instead of being out there with his army. And Uriah, the soldier, is given the opportunity to just go home and enjoy life. And he's too honorable to do that with the army out in the field. In fact, he says, I will not do that. I'm going, if the soldiers out there are sleeping the way they are and they're deprived, I am going to also be one with them. I'm not going to go home. And so he couldn't get him to go home. Then he decides, I'll get him drunk and get him to go home and sleep with his wife so that it will cover up the sin. And that didn't work either. He got him drunk. But he didn't go home. And so here is, here's David. You can just see the panic. You can just sense the panic with David. He's trying to figure out, how am I going to cover this up? Have you ever been in that situation? Not that specific situation. But have you ever done something you know you shouldn't have done, and you're doing everything you can to try to cover that up? You, didn't want it. you don't want anybody else to know about it. And everything you try just doesn't work. Why? Because sin is not controllable. The consequences of sin. It's not something you can keep in a box. And that's why sin is such a powerful and dangerous thing. When we give ourselves over to sin, we never know where it's going to lead. We don't know what's going to happen. The lie of Satan is, oh, go ahead. No one will ever know. It'll be okay. But you don't know that. And so David then in panic, he decides the only way I'm going to cover this up is for him to die. And so, he sends word to Joab that Uriah is to be set in the hottest part of the battle to make sure he dies. And that's exactly what happened. Sin, you see, brings pain. It brings death. As we read on, we're going to see Bathsheba mourned the death of her husband. It brought grief. It brought pain. Sin always brings pain. The lie of Satan is that sin is only about what I do. It only affects me. So if I want to do this and I'm willing to bear whatever it does to me, then that's okay. But you never sin unto yourself. Never. Your sin affects others. Even if no one else ever knows about your sin, it affects your attitude. It affects your feelings. It affects your actions. And therefore, your family and the people closest to you, they are affected by your sin, even if they don't know what that sin is. Because it changes you. It changes me. And therefore, sin always brings pain. And it can bring death itself. Of course, the Bible says the wages of sin is death, right? In in general terms. That's why Jesus came to die in our place, to pay for our sin. Because even one sin 
will cause us to be worthy then of death because we are separated from God. And so Jesus has come that we might be forgiven and, and not have to suffer the consequences of death. But sin can literally cause death on this earth. And that's what happened here in what David did with Uriah. Let me read on verse 18. Then Joab sent and told David all the things concerning the war and charged the messenger saying, when you have finished telling the matters of the war to the king, if it happens that the king's wrath rises and he says to you, why did you approach so near to the city when you fought? Did you not know that they would shoot from the wall? Who struck Abimelech, the son of Jerubasheth? Was it not a woman who cast a piece of a millstone on him from the wall so that he died in the the uh, excuse me, Thebes? Why did you go near the wall? Then you shall say, your servant Uriah the Hittite is dead also. All of that to say, it wasn't just Uriah that died, was it? There were others who died as a part of the plan that Uriah would die. The very fact that the strategy of war was altered, not because it was the best strategy for the war, but so that Uriah would die. It actually affected other people too, other soldiers. In fact, Joab said, if David gets angry with you about the people who were killed, just say to him, your, your servant Uriah the Hittite died also. That was to let him know that the job was done but probably also to let him know this is why these other losses took place. Because of your order. And, of course, the truth, because you were covering up your own sin. You see, there are casualties beyond us when we commit sin. It brings pain and it brings death. So the messenger went, told David, and gave him the news. And then verse 25, then David said to the messenger, thus you shall say to Joab, do not let this thing displease you, for the sword devours one as well as another. Strengthen your attack against the city and overthrow it. So encourage him. When the wife of Uriah heard that Uriah, her husband, was dead, she mourned for her husband. Pain, sorrow, grief. All started because of a sin that appeared to be just a sin between David and what he was compelling Bathsheba to do. Verse 27, and when her mourning was over, David sent and brought her to his house and she became his wife and bore him a son. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. Sin displeases the Lord. That's an understatement, right? The thing that David had done displeased the Lord. It's interesting that in chapter 11, that's first mention of the Lord. All the way to verse 26. He's not mentioned anywhere else in chapter 11 until the, the last verse. And it displeased the Lord. In fact, it could literally be translated, it was evil in the sight of of the Lord. What David did was evil in the sight of the Lord. Well, God was not going to let it go. And so he sends a prophet named Nathan to confront 
David. And that's what we find in chapter 12, the first 11 verses. Then the Lord sent Nathan to David, and he came to him and said to him, There were two men in one city, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had exceedingly many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb, which he had bought and nourished. And it grew up together with him and his children. It ate of his own food and drank from his own cup and lay in his bosom, and it was like a daughter to him. And a traveler came to the rich man who refused to take from his own flock and from his own herd to prepare one for the wayfaring man who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. So David's anger was greatly aroused against the man, and he said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, the man who has done this shall surely die, and he shall restore fourfold for the lamb, because he did this thing, and because he had no pity. Then Nathan said to David, the King James says, Thou art the man. You are the man. God has Nathan tell this parable, essentially, about a rich man who had all kinds of livestock, all kinds of riches. And then there's this one man who has just this one poor little lamb. And when a stranger comes to show hospitality to the stranger, he doesn't take of his own flock. Instead, he steals, he confiscates he takes this one little lamb the poor man has and he slaughters it and David is so angry about the lamb and about the the man who has been mistreated he even says that man shall surely die and then Nathan says David you are the man you are the man and then David knew. David knew that God knew all about it. And I think it dawned on him, this is what I have done. Far worse than taking a little lamb, he had taken another man's wife and then killed that man out of his own covetousness, his own selfishness. And so Nathan confronts David with his sin. You know, God will always confront us with our sin. It may not be this dramatic. It may not be a prophet that comes and stands before us and tells a parable and then says, you are the man. But the voice of God in your heart and mind will always confront you with your sin. Just as surely as David said, uh, heard Nathan say, thou art the man, we can hear the voice of God in our own mind and heart saying, you have done this. It's you. It's you. David. It says in verse 7, You are the man. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel. I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your keeping. And, you gave, and gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if that had been too little, I also would have given you much more. Why have you despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight? You have killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword. Did David run Uriah through with a sword? 
Did David take a sword and kill him? No, he really didn't. Not him, not his hand, but God held David accountable, you see. You can't just put your sin off on somebody else and say, well, it wasn't me who actually did it. You set it all up. You devised the plan. You set it in motion. And God looked at David and said, you have killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword. And you have taken his wife to be your wife and have killed him with the sword of the people of Ammon. You see, God doesn't play our word games. He doesn't play our justification game. We can delude ourselves, but God doesn't fit into that that game. He sees through it all. And he says to David, you have killed Uriah the Hittite. And then verse 10, now therefore the sword shall never depart from your house because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will raise up adversity against you from your own house, and I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor. And he shall lie with your wives in the sight of this son, for you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel, before the son. So David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. He had it right, didn't he? Here is his confession. And he recognizes what sin always is. Sin, he sinned against Bathsheba. He sinned against Uriah the Hittite. He sinned against his army and all of Israel. But ultimately, every sin is against the Lord himself. That's what sin is. It's rebellion against God. And so we should remember on the front end, when we're contemplating any sin, when we're being tempted, that what we are are being tempted to do is something that is against God Himself. Yes, against others. It will affect others, but it is against God Himself. Therefore, we need to listen to the voice of God. We need to take the off-ramp that God gives us and not give in to sin. This sin so displeased the Lord. And it brought these terrible consequences upon David. But the story doesn't end there. There would be these terrible ongoing consequences in David's family, in David's life. But sin can be forgiven. In verses 13 to 15. Verse 13 it says, And Nathan said to David, The Lord also has put away your sin. And you shall not die. However, because by this deed you have given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme, the child also who is born to you shall surely die. Then Nathan departed to his house. This sin had ongoing effect and hurt so many people. But in the midst of it is this statement of God's mercy and grace. You will not die, David. You will not die. The Lord has put away your sin. And if you look over in Psalm 51, just quickly as we close, those first four verses, the 51st Psalm, it says, a prayer of repentance 
to the chief musician, a psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone to Bathsheba. The 51st Psalm was written by David after he was confronted by Nathan the prophet. And it says, the prayer of David, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done this evil in your sight, that you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. David here cries out, confessing his sin and asking for the mercy of God. That was given. So you see, no matter how terrible our sin may be, the mercy and grace of God is even greater. We sing a hymn to that effect, don't we? Grace greater than our sin. That was lived out right here with David. His sin was great. In fact, today, if somebody did what David did, we would probably say they ought to just be put away. They ought to be put aside. There's no future for them. There's no hope for them. But God didn't say that about David. As terrible as his sin was, he still had a plan for David's life. And so never forget that the mercy and the forgiveness of God through Jesus Christ is even greater than the terrible, awful blackness of our sin. He will forgive you if you will confess your sin to him. If you'll ask him to, as David did, he will forgive your sin and he will use your life. Now, that doesn't mean all the consequences of that sin are going to go away. There were a lot of consequences that David and his family continued to live with. But he forgave David. There were no, it was not going to be an eternal uh, separation from God. And so today... If you are not confident and sure that you have been forgiven of all of your sin, you can be. No matter what it has been in the past, today the Lord will forgive you if you will ask him to. His mercy, his power is that great. Will you pray with me? Lord, we thank you for what we learn from David's life. We can't help but see something of ourselves in David it may not be exactly the same sin or situation, but every sin is against you, Lord. And we thank you that you not only held David accountable, but you also forgave him. And we thank you that you will forgive us. If there's someone here today, Lord, who's just broken over their sin, it may be something current or recent. It may be something that happened a long time ago. Help them, Lord, to know they can lay that burden down today and know they have been forgiven once and for all by your mercy, your love, and your grace. We pray, Lord, that when we leave here, we will do so knowing that we have been cleansed of our sin by the blood of Christ. So use this time of invitation, Lord. Lead us if there are decisions that we need to make and may we give you all the honor and glory for your majesty, for your holiness, and for your mercy. 
In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.